afternoon from Jerusalem, and good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you're at around the world. If you're joining us, uh, we are excited with the speakers. The venues for the Feast of Tabernacles will be coming to you from Qumran by the Dead Sea, from the Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, from the southern steps of the temple where all of the nations will have their flags presented before the Lord at the, the steps of the temple. Then we'll be coming to you from a beautiful studio overlooking the old city. We'll also come to you from the garden tomb for a communion service where we celebrate the death and resurrection of our Lord. And we'll, at the end, we'll come to you from Mount Carmel where Elijah was visited by the Lord as he provided, performed one of his most significant miracles. But with all of that, we just got news that Israel has changed its COVID regulations and our last two nations planning to bring groups for the Feast of Tabernacles probably are not going to be able to come. These groups would now be required to go into quarantine. There may be a lockdown for the month of September. So that's just an illustration of the difficulties that we know all of you who love Israel from around the world have been asking us, when will you, Israel, be open for tourism? And today we have a very special guest. Mr. Uri Steinberg is a friend of the Christian Embassy. Um, in fact, he recently enabled all of our staff to visit the new museum of the Jewish people in Tel Aviv. You should put that on your list of something to do when you plan your next tour to Israel. And Uri has served in many different capacities, but at one time he was responsible for all tourism, representing Israel for all tourism from North America. And so, Uri, thank you for being on our webinar today, and welcome. Before I ask you any questions, just introduce yourself briefly. I'm sure you can do that much better than I can. Thank you, Barry. Uh, it's great to be with you. Um, so I'm Uri, um, father of two, um, from Jerusalem. I'm a nice-generation Israeli, which is quite rare. Um, in my last position, I was Israel's tourism commissioner for North America. So my job was to basically promote Israel and get people from North America over here to, um, to Israel. Um, and, and, and during my, my roles and my various diplomatic postings abroad, I, uh, there's no other word. I really fell in love with the faith community and um, this outpour of love that, uh, quite honestly, I was not aware prior to that. Um, so um, my ongoing relationship with, with, the, with, the, with the embassy with, with, with a greater faith community has been uh, uh, one of my biggest passions. Wonderful. Um, as an introduction, describe a little bit about how the COVID restrictions and lockdowns and the, the situation of this pandemic has impacted you and your family. Hmm. Um, I guess it's, it's a good question since this is, uh, you know, it's, 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 as we say, it's a developing story, right? It's, um, I, I think, I think there's some, there's some, uh, we're trying to make a, a, a lemonade out of this lemon. And I think there's some pros and cons. I think uh, here in Israel, if we compare it globally, I think we were lucky. I think um, uh, the medical system operated 
um, um, in, in, a, in a way that makes us all proud. I think that generally uh, the country was did an okay job handling with uh, the, the various fastballs that it had to handle. Um, and uh, it did allow me, uh, like uh, so many people around the world, to create interesting relationships uh, and, and more um, with, with my family. Um, so, you know, my, my daughter spending so much time with them and, and, and doing so many great things together. I think this, to some extent, this was, um, this was a good present for a lot of us dads um, and um, um, maybe down the road, we will miss those days when we played Monopoly and the carpet and read books together. So it's been, uh, it's been uh, uh, mixed feelings about um, the various elements of COVID. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's very much the same. It's been that for m me and my family, both positives and negatives, not able to see some of the extended family um, in fact, back in uh, February, my mother um, became a widow for the second time. My mm. father had died um, in the middle 90s, and mother had remarried in the, about 2006, and she lost her second husband. Um, and because of the lockdowns here in Israel, at that time the airport was even closed, I was unable to go and be with her for the funeral. Um, but, you know, thankfully, a, a month and a half later in April, I was able to go and visit her. But it's, it's created um, unique opportunities uh, with those of us that have family with us and difficulties. And that's those difficulties that I just mentioned in visiting my mom kind of uh, highlight the, the question today. Um, what's the future? When do we expect Israel to open up for tourism? And um, I know that that in and of itself is a question almost impossible to answer. But uh, share with us some of your perspectives. Um, we've got 51 participants from multiple countries who are interested in the theme. And that's not all that we have watching because this is also streamed live on YouTube and on Facebook. And over the end of the weekend, we'll probably have several thousand people um, who uh, will be watching this uh, with the question, when can I come visit Israel? Yeah. Well, um, like so many things in the, state of, in the state of Israel, everything is sometimes too complicated. Um, and um, and, and, and I, wish, I wish it was streamlined because, you know, when you look at the world now, you see several, um, I would say, approaches. You see the New Zealand approach or the Hong Kong approach, which pretty much says, listen, I have no idea how to handle it. I'm shutting down the country. And uh, once we'll open the country, you will know. But until then, don't come any closer. Now, other, other countries like England, like Spain, like Greece, they're basically taking the... Um, the more uh, nuanced approach basically says, if you're, if you're vaccinated um, and you're doing a PCR test when you come to, Israel, to this country, uh, by all means, you're, uh, you're more than welcomed. Um, Israel seems to um, be jumping um, up and down um, when it comes to uh, which um, approach it takes. Um, and it's been very frustrating to everyone involved. Um, it did have a lot to do with the uh, um, I think the uh, the government that was um, changing 
um, but it had to do with how does the country relate to taking chances? Uh, how does it manage the risks involved? And every country now has to somehow manage the risks. It's very easy to shut down and say, I'm not taking any risk. And it's very easy to say, I'm opening all the borders and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking everything under consideration. Um, and, and, but I think that speaking to a lot of people in the travel industry and people of faith around the world, the problem that we are seeing time and time again is the lack of consistency. People who love Israel, people who want to visit Israel do not understand what would I have to do to get into Israel since things are changing all the time. That's the first problem that, uh, that regulations and, and, and demands are changing all the time. And there's no specific address that answers those questions. So Israel now um, uh, um, is, uh, is run when it comes to COVID by uh, the COVID cabinet that is headed by the prime minister. And the most um, assertive and dominant part of it is the Ministry of Health. The Ministry of Health um, approach is a very, um, 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 is, is an approach that doesn't really take under consideration the various economic effects. And they are, uh, are not willing to take any risk and their ability to manage those risks are, uh, um, are, is very limited. So what we're seeing time and time again is um, that the Israel regulation or the Israel, um, uh, the Israel regulations when it comes to coming to Israel are stricter than any other country and um, which makes it a complete, uh, a complete mess. If you're a traveler until a couple of days ago, if you were an American group, for example, of Christians, if you were a Portuguese group who wanted to come to Israel, um, there were certain rules of how you can come to Israel. Uh, those rules, unfortunately, are unique only to Israel, like, like no other place around the world. Um, you've had to go uh, through a pilot process, basically to register um, all the participants, and you needed to get an approval 14 days before. You needed to come over with vaccination and with a PCR test. And here in Israel, um, you are also, uh, um, you are also uh, obligated to take um, um, a serological test, basically have your blood drawn from you. We were fighting, and I was trying to uh, lobby it to change this serological test, which was a huge barrier. People who basically said, I understand PCR tests, but the fact that you're getting my blood drawn and I have no idea what's happening with the blood afterwards is a big problem. And this was something that was a big no-no for, for many, many Christians around the world. So we were pushing really hard to change this um, into, or to completely uh, obviate it, or to change it into a, a small prick in the finger that you're getting your blood sample that, and you're able to discard it, and you know for sure that it's not being used by anyone else. And this whole process was taking 15 minutes. Um, as time passed by, we were pretty sure that this will be the procedure for the next couple of months. But then exactly 48 hours ago from, the, from now, um, um, the cabinet corona basically decided out of the blue, out of the blue, to create a new regulation that forces people who come to Israel from most countries to uh, be quarantined for a whole week. 
regardless of the various tests that they're doing. The problem with this is A, that it came out of the blue, B, it creates a complete uh, a lack of consistency and lack of clarity. Um, and um, uh, I think that people, rightly so, are very insulted. They're insulted by how the state of Israel is, uh, is, is, um, is, is handling them. They're insulted by how the state of Israel plays with them in a way. And, you know, being an Israeli, I have to say that I am, I'm, I'm, I'm very saddened to see my country uh, behaving the way we are, especially when we have so many people around the world who just want to come here and love us and bless us. Um, I would just add something else, which is, I think, extremely um, important. And uh, one of the biggest frustrations had to do with the reasoning behind it. Why is the state of Israel going after the travelers? Uh, have we seen uh, groups of travelers that brought COVID to Israel? The answer is no. The answer lays in the fact that it seems that the airport in Israel, Ben Gurion Airport, is uh, a problematic junction. A lot of the uh, COVID cases recently started from the airport. Um, and yes, I am taking into consideration the fact that COVID is growing in Israel with the Delta variant. Um, so instead of painting a very, using a very um, um, delicate brush and understanding where those problems are coming from, um, they were using a very, using broad strokes and very broad brushes. The problems was, was really a, a lot of Israelis who were flying a lot in the last two months, going to Italy, going to Greece, going to Dubai, going to various places and bringing COVID with them. Um, the problem has not been tourist groups who were uh, in one bus under uh, complete uh, oversight by the government with PCR tests and serological tests. This has not been the problem. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to get this message across to create an exemption for specific tourists. And uh, unfortunately, we're in a position right now where um, there is a lot of confusion and frustration. That's an excellent uh, description and explanation. Um, and I appreciated how you were able to explain the why of the government's decisions without necessarily um, agreeing with or justifying the, the way those are implemented. Yeah. And you know, these, these decisions actually impacted my family personally very, very powerfully last year. Um, my wife uh, still works one month uh, uh, out of every quarter in a hospital in the US. And uh, because she would never be here more than two or three months at a time, we never went to the trouble to get her dependent visa tied to my long-term visa in her passport. Mm -hmm. So in early March last year, as COVID was just starting, she flies to the States. Mm. Because she had no visa in her passport and we fought with the Israeli government for just under six days to make it six months before we got permission for her to return um, in September. Wow. The, you know, so I, I personally feel the pain of all of our friends around the world who want to come and trust. Um, my wife and I were unfortunately separated for six months over these regulations. Um, can you speak a little bit about the economic impact that the, this closing of Israel for 
almost a year and a half now has had on those whose livelihood is the tourism industry. Very, yes, very much. Um, uh, this is a, a very sad part of, of this. So, you know, I think the big, in the big picture, the problem is that the state of Israel does not see uh, the travel industry, tourism to Israel um, as, as what it is, as one of the key, uh, um, um, key and important sectors that are really growing in Israel and are extremely important mainly to the periphery. 15%, 15% to those who are employed in the periphery of the state of Israel work in the travel industry. And when you make such decisions, you do not, uh, you do not, you do not harm the, you know, the creme of Israel that is situated in the center of Israel. You're harming those who are in the periphery. Um, the state of Israel was um, pretty effective in the ways that it, it helped um, those small businesses um, leave in the first year of COVID. But right now, right now, what we're seeing is that we're seeing that a lot of those businesses that you were supplying work to are, are, are losing, whether they're losing their last financial resources, but a lot of them, I think, are losing faith. A lot of them are losing patience. And, um, and, 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 and this, this, this blow, this last two months, I think, has been... Uh, one too many for several of the people in the industry. So I think what we will see is we will see that a substantial part of the travel industry, whether we're talking about bus drivers or we're talking about restaurants, hotels, tour companies, what have you, um, this industry is going to go through um, um, uh, a big shift. Um, you have people, you know, in the state of Israel hasn't been the calmest place around the globe. So you're talking about people who are some of them are veterans of so many different conflicts, so many different blows that they have had to endure for so many years, whether it's the Intifada, the war with Lebanon, the various conflicts with Gaza. All of them had substantial um, um, implications on people's businesses and livelihoods. And now they have to go through that um, and, seeing, and seeing groups that can go to Greece and can go to Turkey uh, um, and you know, and or Italy, and for for reasons that some of us do not understand, they cannot come to Israel. Um, at the same time, you see us as Israelis. We can fly to I can fly tomorrow to Portugal, and I can come back to from Portugal or from Montenegro or from Indonesia even, and 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 come back to Israel without uh, without the need to be isolated um, for, for 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 no days. And you're trying to find the logic, and you and, and when you th we think about the cost of it, you know the hotels that are now um, losing money, and, and and the various tour companies. So a lot of the people, a lot of the people in the travel industry are really really hurting, um, and, um, and we're going to see, a, I think, a, a complete change in how people, um, in how this industry will look down the road. Yeah, I'll know uh, this type of an impact going on 18 months on a whole industry, it, it's going to create significant changes. Um, friends of mine who I know who, you know, for years or decades had been tour guides, um, 
they, some of them are doing new training, doing new courses, looking at new careers, because they have no idea when they might be able to guide a tour group again. And for me, that's actually very sad because they were, they were very passionate. They, they loved guiding, sharing the knowledge and the wisdom and the excitement about Israel and the land. Um, so yeah, we, we will lose, um, unfortunately, many of these people's businesses over these coming years. Um, yeah. Now this is a little different comment, but you've probably seen the news. Um, Singapore in the last month has basically announced that their COVID policies are now the same as the influenza. They consider it endemic. They're not going to be able to control it. It's always going to be with us and they will treat it as it arises and they're no longer quarantined, no border controls. Um, speaking to a pastor friend of mine in uh, England yesterday, effectively the UK has made the same stand. Um, as an Israeli, do you see any potential for that type of a, a direction in the future of Israel? By future, let's say near term, six months or a year. Yeah, um, uh, I've read a lot about the English, what, we, what health officials in Israel are calling it the English experiment. And experiment is, is an important word here because um, to a lot of people in the health industry, uh, in the health um, world in Israel, what the UK is doing now is an experiment. Um, so is Singapore. Um, and it, it's important to say that the experiment so far seems to be going well. But um, from what I understand, it's really hard to, to, to take, the, to, to take uh, um, the English uh, example and to just copy and paste it here to Israel, uh, since there's so many different um, variants and so many different uh, attributes and and, um, and and parts of the, of those two communities that are different, and we cannot accept to have the same uh, results. What we've seen, and we haven't seen it changing, we've seen that the industry, that the, the medical uh, 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 specialists here, the, the the people who specialize and and are are uh, are leading of this battle against COVID with the government, are very conservative. These are people who are not risk takers. These are people. Who are uh, who are actually um, leading the discourse? Discourse is not being led by an, uh, a table of economy versus health. It's led mainly by the health implications. Where other countries are saying, "We understand. We may. We you know we have to find the right balance." And I think um, it will be very hard to enforce. Uh, new uh, curfews here in Israel will be very hard to uh, force people to go back to what they had to endure in 2020 now that they've seen uh, that we are able to somehow live side by side. So for the foreseeable future, I do not see a change in this conservative view. Not only that, Israel is the first country in the world that not opened the country, but um, had uh, basically put in um, the third vaccine. Uh, people that are 60 and above are now asked to go and um, and uh, have third vaccines. My parents are just having, I think as we speak, they're getting their uh, third vaccination. Um, I, I'm, I'm praying that this third, third vaccine would actually 
bring about uh, the changes that we are looking for. Because right now, uh, what's floating in the air, the kind of doomsday news that is floating in the air, is um, uh, a complete shutdown of Israel in the month of September, which is a month of, uh, of, of as you guys know, the Jewish holidays. The Jewish holidays um, where we all congregate together for almost for a full month is indeed a, a problematic period of time uh, um, if you're trying to fight COVID. However, the big discourse is, can, should we uh, uh, go ahead with this draconian um, uh, um, forced curfew on an entire country in the high holidays, or do we find the, the even ground? Um, what people are looking for is to see um, uh, what, uh, what are the effects or the positive effects of this uh, third vaccine uh, tide. Uh, and I do hope that uh, the, the next two weeks are crucial. They're crucial also for people who would want to visit Israel in the fall, because if we will see that this wave of Delta is reaching its peak and now starting to dwindle and starting to, uh, well, its growth is, is, is coming to a halt, we'll know that we, are, um, we can look ahead with, uh, with, with an optimistic um, outlook. So the next two weeks are extremely important for, for all of us now. Well, that's an excellent point for us to make a transition in our discussion here. Um, assuming that whether it be in two weeks or four to six weeks, we see this curve drop again and we can look towards tourism returning. Tell us some of the new things that even our regular tourists, because uh, with the Christian Embassy, some of our offices around the world, they bring tour groups three, four times every year. But for, even for the regulars, what's some of the new things that they probably have not seen that they should look forward to see? Hmm. So first of all, before, before, before I mention several points, I do want to mention, and I think it's an important point for, for the people in, in this discussion, that there has been several dozens of groups that came to Israel as pilot groups. So those groups needed to go through registrations and approval, and uh, they had to go jump many hoops and had to uh, um, um, adhere and, um, and go through some things that most people would not want to go when they are going to visit the country. The vast majority of those groups were Christian groups who came from all over the world to Israel. And I think that for the state of Israel, that says a lot. It says a lot about the passion of the people, but it also from a pure, I would say, commercial perspective, it shows the potential. It shows where the state of Israel needs to invest its resources. It needs to invest its resources in places where people want to come to this country. So instead of investing in various tourism campaigns to the regular audience, there is this market across the globe that wants to visit the Holy Land and is willing to go above and beyond to the average traveler to fulfill this dream and this mission. Um, and I think this, these facts of the last couple of months have been very interesting and eye-opening for a lot of uh, people. Um, now, regarding new places, I got to say that Israel has never looked be more beautiful, I think. The fact that there were, the fact that uh, tra travelers were um, away from Israel for a long time and we've had a great winter 
the Sea of Galilee, I was there a week ago, and I know that you know people go to the Sea of Galilee. I've never seen it fuller. I've never seen it so beautiful, so clear. So uh, the Sea of Galilee is definitely not a new place for most people who've been to Israel, at least I hope so. But I gotta say that when I visit the Sea of Galilee now, I see it in its full glory and I've really never seen it so, so magnificent. Um, another place uh, that we, you know, we had the pleasure to have uh, you, Barry, and uh, a group from, from ICJ uh, a week ago is the Museum of the Jewish People, the largest Jewish museum, largest Jewish museum in the world um, that was opened in Tel Aviv, just in the outskirts of Tel Aviv. And what I like about the museum that it tells a story in a way that makes it relevant for those who are not Jewish, but see themselves part of the Judeo-Christian uh, uh, family. Um, understanding that we all come from the same tree and, and we all um, are part of the same family. And, and I feel that when you finish a, a tour or start a tour in Israel in this place, um, it's, it's a perfect place for, for some sort of a, a goodbye or a welcome um, event. I am astonished time and time again by how many people, uh, how, sorry, how many new um, um, revelations and new excavations are being done all over the country. Now in the city of David, they found some new fascinating artifacts. So I think the city of David, again, not a place that people have not been to, but a place that now um, has this new, um, um, new revived uh, um, uh, uh, inspirational collection of, of, of new artifacts that again show and prove this um, connection of, of the Jewish people uh, to Jerusalem and to the city of David, and there's mind-boggling as far as I'm concerned. Now, let me jump in on both of those because reference the city of David. I've been living again in Jerusalem um, going on eight years now, and if I had time, I'd visit the city of David every three or four months because it seems like they're constantly finding something new, something that that brings insight to the biblical history of Jerusalem. Um, unfortunately, I get there about every year and a half. So uh, um, I would just second that, that absolutely, even if they've been there before, they need to revisit amazing new, new developments. Um, and also to comment on the Museum of the Jewish People, you know, probably four or five years ago, before they had really embarked on the final stage of this renovation and, and reworking of the museum. Um, I was able to visit it, but I was amazed. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to finding some time to go back and spend a day because we were there with our staff and team for two hours. Um, and as you said, the, the reworking and telling it, the history of the Jewish people as a whole, whereas before it was the Museum of the Diaspora, um, and it, it dealt even with the, the Christian branch coming off of Jerusalem as, as that's where Christianity had its roots, and whereas yeah. before it wasn't even acknowledged. Um, and so I would, to all of our, our participants, just recommend, yes, as you whenever you're coming with a tour group, I would recommend that you plan to start or to end with the Museum of the Jewish People in Tel Aviv. And, and there's something else that I have to, have to mention that it was the first time for me, I was very excited. 
Um, it had to do with the Jordan River. Uh, many Christians who visit Israel, of course, for them being in the Jordan River, being baptized in the Jordan River is ex of extreme importance. What we have in Israel, we have the baptism site, Kassel Yehud, which has its own problems. It's down south near Jericho. Um, it, it, it's not where most people want to, for various reasons, how the place looks like, where it's located. Um, people, I think, understand that it's really hard to point exactly for the uh, original place of baptism, but they just want to be in the Jordan River. As, as, and we know that a lot of people go through Yardanit, which is, um, uh, let's call it the, the a relatively commercial uh, uh, baptism site where the Kinneret, where the Sea of Galilee, um, um, where, where the Jordan River actually spills out of the Sea of Galilee. Um, there is a kibbutz um, uh, approximately 15 miles south of, of the Sea of Galilee called Gesher. Um, what they have is they have this unique place um, that is um, uh, uh, on the Jordan River. Apparently, I was not aware of it. There is, an, there is a place that has this very ancient Roman bridge that was built over the, uh, over the Jordan River. And, and the kibbutz basically received the rights to start operating this area and to open it to people. What you have is that it's actually a place that you rarely find, which is the Jordan River in, its, in all of its beauty. It's very lush, it's very green, it flows beautifully. It's, um, you've got this ancient bridge over there so you're really able to be in the, in, the, in the Jordan River like I haven't seen before in a way that A, is very intimate and very real and not commercial. And I think this could be a very interesting place for, for Christians to come and, and, and so that could be uh, the place where they interact and, and, and meditate and, and read the Bible with the Jordan River and, 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 and a better option than anything that we have right now. That sounds fascinating. And in fact, listening to you describe it, I'm it just wrote it down on my list of uh, things that must be done in these coming days and get to know it and see it. Um, I believe I've seen a picture of the Roman bridge across it recently. Um, so that's an excellent recommendation. I also know that recently in some of the digging in the old city of Jerusalem, they recently uncovered some large um, constructions from the second temple period. Um, have you seen anything about that or, or able to make any comments on that? No, I know that this was is processed now by researchers from the Hebrew University, so news exactly to what it is um, are not out. Um, and, but I also think some of those things that are now being discovered, the problem with them is it will, it will take a while until people will be able to actually see them in a museum. Yes. So I, I, I speak to a lot of people from overseas who are saying, ah, you know, I, I got to come to Israel because I read about this gula that he found in the city of David and I want to see it, but this thing is, is still not open public. It will take several years. One of the places that I think is where people can really interact with Israeli archaeology is the Sifting Project. I don't know how many people know about um, uh, basically uh, the Muslim Waqf that's controlling the Temple Mount. 
um, for many years has taken debris out of the Temple Mount, out of the bedrock of the Temple Mount, and discarding them. And the problem with that is that most of them uh, originally were thrown out, just discarded completely as if they're garbage. And the Sifting Project is a place where people come and just take a pile of stones and they sift it and they go through it. Um, and, and really, many times people are able to find within stones, they're able to find something that is precious, whether it's a, a seed, whether it's a, a, a burned arrow, whatever it is. And so it's really a great opportunity for people to get their hands dirty and be part of, of, of this exciting project. No, I would second that and uh, actually say it's actually already on my list of something that we want to do with our staff. Take a day and, and go to the Sifting Project. Several of our staff have done it individually. They've been excited to see that they, the things they have found from the mm -hmm. Second Temple period, from earlier, from uh, the Crusader period. And uh, having studied archaeology under Dr. Gabriel Barcai, who, as I understood, started the sifting project, yeah. um, although I believe that currently, you know, his health and age is not, he's not able to be involved in it. Um, I've been reading about that and watching it this, these years that I've been in Jerusalem. Um, that absolutely is something that somebody wants to get their hands dirty and maybe find something special from Jerusalem that would be a wonderful experience. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Um, sometimes we get questions um, about, is Israel safe? And in this last year, you know, we experienced the uh, couple of weeks of attacks from Gaza. Um, just in the last few days, there have been the couple of rockets fired from Lebanon. Um, in fact, I believe the last, the details, there were three rockets fired from Lebanon. One actually landed in Lebanon, two hit in open areas of Israel. Um, can you address just the, the question of uh, the security and safety of a tour group when they come to Israel? I'm yeah. trusting that we have people who have never been yet. Those yeah. who have been know how to interpret it. Yeah, well, you know, I can only pray for the day when when such questions will be redundant, but unfortunately they're not. Um, and, and we do have to address it. You know, unfortunately, um, we are, all of, most of us are, are a product of um, being indoctrinized by, by the media that there's always something bad happening in the Middle East or something bad happening in Israel. Um, and, yes. and people who've never been to Israel um, come, sometimes come with this fear that, you know, things are about to happen here. Um, it's always worth mentioning, it's always worth mentioning that the, um, the crime rate in Israel, first of all, is one of the lowest crime rates in the Western world. So, yes. so, so, so the odds of someone walking back to their hotel from, from a coffee shop um, uh, getting attacked are lower than any big uh, metropolitan um, um, out there. Um, um, do we have, from time to time, do we have... Um, as you said, um, uh, acts of violence in the borders. Yes, we do. But I think that when, when, when they do happen, the uh, A, travelers are never part of the conflict, and B, um, they, uh, uh, they tend to be very, very isolated. And unfortunately, 
unfortunately, the state of Israel had to learn how to be very proactive in defending its citizens, unlike other countries in the world. So, um, so, so whether it's against terror attacks, the Israel has been extremely efficient. And the last time there was a, a real terror attack in Israel, um, you would really have to go back to history. And even we're talking about rockets from Gaza. I live with my family here in Tel Aviv, um, but Israel has the Iron Dome, and um, which completely, completely protects uh, 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 citizens. What we see is that we've seen those long um, battles of the past of 25, 30 years ago are, are, thank God, are not part of our daily lives here. And um, I, I, I still firmly believe that without, regardless of the fact that this is a once in a lifetime um, um, visit that every believer has to go through, it's one of the safest uh, of visits. And only when you come here and you walk the streets and you meet the people and you understand how, how um, um, different the reality is here to what sometimes people would see on BBC or whatever. There's various reasons why we are such rock stars on BBC and other mainstream media. That's not that's not that's not our point right now. But uh, the reality here is much calmer than when people anticipate. Excellent comments. Um, we just had a question come in from one of our participants, asking, "What are some of the?" off the normal path, some of the experiences that tourists might plan on doing, um, especially if they're a regular who's come several times, what's something different or unique that your normal first time tour group doesn't do? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so I would, uh, just from the top of my head, I would point several things. First of all, I think that one of the charming and incredible places that sometimes is overlooked by travelers, first-timers, is the Negev Desert. Um, so, um, yes, you would see people going to Masada, but the Negev Desert um, is one of the unique places that we have in Israel. This beautiful, arid um, um, landscape that goes down from uh, Beersheba down south to Eilat, which in it, the most incredible place is the Ramon Crater. Ramon, Ramon Crater um, is a natural crater like no one, like no other in the world. And um, for those of us who, who love the Bible, I think um, it brings us back to to a, um, to uh, so many passages. And it, it's there's some something so special about this place and about this vastness in the middle of this country that I really, really urge people to go and, and check it out. One of the things that I, I'm a big fan of, of the Israeli food in food scene, I think that um, I think that Israel, the food here in this country is just remarkable. So one of the really, really off the beaten path things to do in Israel has to do with my, one of the things that I love more about the Israeli food, which is tahini. Um, and uh, we all read about the Good Samaritan. And Samaritans are still a very small sect that lives here in Israel. They have two places where they live. They live in um, the city of Cholon, near Tel Aviv, and Mount Grizim, Mount Grizim over Nablus, over Shechem. 
And you're talking about a community that has approximately 2,000 people in the world. That's it. It's a faith that is some sort of an offshoot or a branch of Judaism. And they live in this community and they use this weird ancient alphabets and, and their traditions are some sort of a mixture between um, ancient Judaism and some, maybe some Islam. Um, what they have there is they have the best tahini in the world. Seriously, mm. I, I cannot stress this enough. I know that I am, uh, it's not an objective test, but um, going over there to this ancient group, the Samaritans, in the middle of, um, you know, in the middle of the land of Israel and seeing how they've built a tahini plant that is, has probably one of the best tahinis in the world now is, is something uh, is incredible. And it really, it also allows people to, to come and, 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 and understand and learn about the Samaritans that are still here in the land of Israel. Now, and visiting the Samaritan community, um, especially with it being referenced in the New Testament, and, and uh, um, I would highly recommend it. When I was here before, um, lived here with my family from 95 to 02, we actually were able to arrange an invitation and uh, took a busload of our staff from the Christian organization there to visit the Samaritan community during their Passover. Oh, that's an experience. That is an amazing experience. Um, obviously, you coming from abroad, that would be very specific. It's one day in the year, but it brought to light the biblical stories of Passover, the Paschal Lamb, and the sacrifice. Um, and of course, we also, in addition to that, we met with the elders of the community. We heard of their history and, and all. Um, but I don't know that I've had their tahini. So uh, maybe we oh. need to meet there one day for lunch. <laughs> yes. I would also comment on the desert. Um, I myself grew up in West Texas and New Mexico, uh, which is considered desert, high plains, very dry. So my heart just kind of leaps when I'm into that emptiness of the desert. But one of the most fascinating sites that I've visited, well, actually there's two, one that I, I know to describe and the other, maybe you will remember the name. But outside of Arad is the, the excavations of, of ancient Arad um, and uh, even some, uh, I'm remembering descriptions of pottery that described uh, uh, was used as correspondence of what was happening back in the first temple period. Mm -hmm. And uh, that site I found interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know this site. And actually there's other sites not far from it, like Shifta, like ancient uh, Nabatean or nomads that inhabited this area. And you understand that the Negev Desert, despite being arid area, was actually where the ancient spice route uh, that took uh, um, spices over from Asia to Europe. This is where this is uh, this was a highway um, um, of commerce back then. So it's it's pretty remarkable area that um, more people need to to know and connect. Well, and that that you just mentioned the Nabataean community um, 
that may have been where we visited. It was again back in the 90s, but it was almost a small village completely abandoned from the Nabataean time period mm -hmm. um, that we went through. And it was again amazing to recognize, as you said, that during the spice trails, uh, during the biblical time period, that area was a highway. It was a the, the route through which all commerce went east and west and even north and south, Africa yeah. and Europe and Asia. Very much so, yes. Well, Uri, I want to thank you for your time. And uh, you started out um, just commenting how your experience representing Israel in tourism introduced you to the, the Christian community. Maybe just kind of in closing, you would share some comments about what it means as an Israeli um, when the Christians come, when nobody else is coming to Israel, and just share a few closing thoughts with our Christian friends around the world. Yeah, it's, uh, thank you. Um, you know, uh, for me, the relationship with the Christian community have been very impactful. Uh, you know, a lot of us Jews here in Israel, um, the history that we have with the church, that our families have the church, is a very sad one, right? So you're, you're talking about generations in which uh, um, for, for, for my grandmother who grew up in Europe and for so many other friends, the church, the cross, was a source of fear, right? Was a source of, of problems. You know, the, the, the church, Christians were... Um, something that we had to run away from. It usually had to do with violence and with persecutions or what have you. And I'm, I'm so delighted that I am, and we all are, part of this um, buffer generation that is changing the way we speak to each other and we understand that we're part of the same family. And I don't take it lightly and I don't think none of us should and take it under, to take it as something that... Um, um, is just uh, natural. Um, I think we're blessed to be living in this. And when I see that during the hard time that we've had in the past, and, and right now, the first people who want to jump on the plan and get back to Israel and get back to, you know, supporting Israel and be in the land are Christians, it, it, it further um, reinforces this understanding that what we have between us is of extreme importance and we're really living in, in, in important times from that perspective. Amen, thank you for that. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's a part of the mandate of the Christian embassy yeah. um, to build the relations and to communicate with the church worldwide that yes, for much of 2000 years, the church practice an anti-Semitism that was non-biblical, non-acceptable, and, and we need to change that. Yes. But thankfully, we live in a time period where so much of the church is waking up. Um, in fact, for our, our Christian audience, I'll share of one of our speakers coming up at the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, Lou Engel, who any Christian in North America probably knows of, he was with us on our global prayer gathering, which is a, a webinar like this that we have once a week. And when I heard Lou speak, I just, I, I shouted, thank you, Lord, because Lou Engel was saying in these last few months, it's like he's had a new conversion. 
And as he talked about it, he said, you know, all of my Christian life, when I read Israel, I read the church or I read America. Mm -hmm. And these last months, I realized that when God says Israel in the Bible, it is this land, Israel, and the people of Israel. Um, and Lou Engel will be one of our keynote speakers at the Feast of Tabernacles. So uh, that's part of why we as the Christian Embassy continue our work, because we still need to see that kind of change in the church around the world. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Uri, thank you so much for being with us, for all of our guests, for our translators into Portuguese, Spanish, and Thai today. Thank you for all of the, you watching on YouTube and on Facebook. From Jerusalem, we want to say God bless you, and we hope to see you participating with our virtual Feast of Tabernacles. Even though the situation of COVID and the rules don't let you come to Israel now, Join us on the feast, and we will show you the country during the Feast of Tabernacles. Thank you, Uri, and goodbye, Hello. everybody. Shalom. Lord worked mighty miracles all across the land of Israel. This year at the Feast of Tabernacles, we want you to experience that same fire of the Holy Spirit as in the days of Elijah. Journey with us through seven days of exciting Sukkot events in Jerusalem and all around Israel. Join us live from Qumran on the shores of the Dead Sea, where the voices of the prophets still echo. From Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus' miracle-working power was on display. And from Mount Carmel, where the fire of God rained down. You don't want to miss a minute of this year's feast. When you register online today, you'll get access to all seven live shows from around Israel and over 80-plus seminars from Bible teachers and experts around the world. You'll also be able to join us for global prayer and anointed worship from Israeli and international artists. I know the Lord has a special appointment with you at the Feast of Tabernacles this year. Register online today and we'll see you at the feast.